Hey everybody, welcome back to Becoming Better, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I'm the host of the show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 62, Time Management. What? <laughs> that was quite a lot of accents all in one little Not accents, intro. just uh, accentuations. Sure. Yes. You're excited this all morning. Right. Were they enjoyable? Were they a wild roller coaster of tonality and, uh, and emotion? Yep. It's like life with you a wild roller coaster of tonality and emotion. It's, it's never just a, a streetcar, you know? It's. It's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Speaking of exciting, we want to start off with a bit of excitement about uh, some meta comments about the podcast itself. Uh, I I don't like when podcasts become too self-referential. I've actually unsubscribed from a couple for this reason, but we have a new name for the podcast, and it is a name. We're, We're just working on the artwork now. It might be ready for the next episode. Maybe the episode after that, maybe the one after that. We'll see. Uh, but only four people know the name. But we we do want to thank Rebecca. I, I won't say Rebecca's last name just for the sake of, of privacy. But thank you, Rebecca, for the wonderful new name. We can't wait to try it on for size, uh, maybe two, three episodes from now. Yeah. Make sure you... Uh... Note if the album art and the title change yeah. in your podcast dreams. Yeah, so yeah, that's, I guess, the main reason we wanted to mention that. Don't freak out. You, you, you're not hacked. Somebody didn't use your phone, you know, if, if, if the artwork and the name changes. We're, we're just super excited, and we'll shut up about it now. Uh, maybe the next time we'll talk about it, we'll have the new name and artwork. Another quick bit of housekeeping. There's a new batch of podcast postcards I'm holding them here in in my hand. Not actually, I'm holding an imaginary postcard, but you don't know that because it's a podcast. Uh, If you want us to send you one, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. We've been sending a few to to India recently, to Brazil. Uh, Leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or even just a rating and and send us a screenshot that you have. Uh, Chris at alifeofproductivity.com is where you can mail that and then we'll mail you something Physical? How's that? Exchanging something in the digital world for something in the physical world. Very exciting. It's really cool to see all the addresses that are coming from yeah. all over the place and sending postcards all over. It's very exciting. I guess that's what like a three D printer does. Turn something digital into digital something physical. Into something physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the lab grown meat. Sure. Actually, not at all. Or any kind of like information work where you're just yeah. moving bits around all day, yeah. and then you get paid. In money. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> that you can spend on real things like, all right, we're getting re- way off topic. Time management. Time management. What a nebulous concept. What is time management, Arden? I mean, I think if you Google it, if you just Google time management tips, oh, man, you yeah. end up with kind of a whole lot of bullshit. Yeah. I don't want to mm-hmm. say it that way, but just a lot of very like generic advice on how to structure your days. But that's not really like a practical tip for time management. Like get yeah. rid of distractions. Oh, cool, thanks. Great advice, <laughs> Einstein. It's very revolutionary is how to manage your time better. Just put your phone in a different room, which feels very, very generic. So yeah. I think people think of time management as like this essential tip for how to be product- <laughs> productive. But yeah. I think 
in reality, it's, it's a much more nebulous idea. It, it really is nebulous. And I think it's for that reason to quote Hamilton or to, I, I guess, have a quote inspired by Hamilton. We don't need a revolution here. We need a revelation on what time management even is in the first place. And I, I think that's where we need to start is step zero. What is time management? Now, I always hesitate to quote my own work back, but I guess because this is kind of a topic that I've covered before in the first book that I wrote that was called The Productivity Project. Um, I was flipping through that and thinking, okay, I hope my opinions back then when I wrote this book match my own today. And, and thankfully they do. Um, and there was a little uh, passage from that that I will now read, uh, essentially a free preview of the audiobook for that book. But um, uh, back then I wrote, you know, as long as there's sequences of events to order, there will be time. Or, to put it another way, without a sequence of events that have a distinct past, present, and future, time wouldn't exist. And I think this is important to keep in mind with regard to time management, that time management exists because we cannot be in two places at one time. And because we can only be in one place, working on one thing, focusing on one thing. And because while that's true at the same time, we also have so many competing demands and uh, priorities that often conflict with one another. And we can only, of course, focus and spend our time, attention and energy on one thing, one of those at one time. Determining the relative importance of the tasks on our plate becomes critical. I'm in the middle of a reading a book right now called 4,000 Weeks. Have you... I have one? heard about this. I think I told you about this book. Yeah, Oliver Berkman. And I don't know how this didn't come across my radar till, uh, till very recently, but it's a fantastic book. And there's a great quote that Oliver... We, we should try and get Oliver on the podcast, maybe next episode if he's available. Uh, but there's a great, great quote in the book uh, that where he writes, quote, the real measure of any time management technique is whether or not it helps you neglect the right things. And that's critical, I think, because we focus so much on what we're actually spending our time on. But for every one thing that we choose to spend our time, our attention, our energy on, that means we're saying no in the moment to every single other thing that happens to be on our plate. And that is critical to keep in mind when it comes to time management, that A, we need it because we have to work around the rhythms of other people and we're not able to be in two places at one time. But B, because no two tasks in our work, in our life, if we're spending our time on a personal level, are created equal. That makes taking that step back to determine and set an intention for what we're going to devote ourselves to so critical. This really boils down to the idea of awareness, mm, I think, right? Yeah. Where you have to be aware of not only how you spend your time, which can come down to tracking your time, which I think I have found insanely helpful, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to think about how you can best manage your time, you need to have a better, like a good idea of your baseline, like how long mm. certain things take you, how much buffer time you need, how much downtime you tend to take, or where there are kind of gaps in how, how, how well you're using your time, right? I mean, maybe you'll identify that you're spending... 40 hours a week watching Netflix. It's probably not the best use of your time if you're, you have some kind of goal that isn't watching Netflix. If that's your goal, though. Yeah, if that's your goal, you do you. That's oh, cool. Man. It's good to have goals. Yeah, 40 hours of Netflix a week, that'd be a cool goal. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could do that. but You can. Yeah, I, I believe you can. You can do anything <laughs> you put your mind to. And I, I won't stand for that level of self-talk on the podcast. 
All right. So if that's my goal, cool. But I think really being aware of how you're spending your time is an important like kind of first step in thinking about managing your time because um, it kind of helps you calibrate everything else. And then if you, oh, if you are interested in looking or learning a little bit more about tracking your time, you can go back to our episode eight, which is all about tracking your time. Yeah. We've had Laura on the show too, right? Yeah, that was actually in that episode. Oh, okay. Laura Vanderkam, the author of 168 Hours, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, friend of the podcast. Yes, friend of the show. Yeah. So that's really kind of digging into the awareness of how you spend your time. I think the other piece is being aware of, of your biological prime times, mm, right? I mean, The what, energy. Your energy, yeah. So, I mean, everybody's energy levels fluctuate throughout the day. You might feel that in the morning you have a lot of energy for like physical activity or maybe it's mental activity. I know for me, I have tried to be a morning runner for my whole life and it's just not going to happen because in the morning I'm more, I think, more attuned to work that involves a lot of thinking rather than physical activity. For other people, it'll be the exact opposite where maybe in the morning you have a lot of energy for physical activities. So being aware of your biological... Like you. Oh no, I'm the opposite. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I'm a great listener. <laughs> For what a lot I? of people, understanding your biological prime time is also a really important piece of managing your time, right? You, yeah. If you want to be as effective as, as possible throughout your day, knowing when you can do certain tasks or when you're primed to do certain tasks better is an important step in that process. And I and, think that that speaks to how a lot of time management advice is overrated. You know, it, people pretend time management is the be-all and end-all of how we work, but but it really isn't. It, it really isn't at all. It doesn't matter how well you can manage your time if you can't then focus on something, if you don't have the uh, capacity to focus in that moment. And the same is true, you know, you're chatting about energy. If you're burnt out at one or two in the afternoon because you had this massive a heaping portion of butter chicken for lunch, or like we did a turkey dinner last night because of Canadian Thanksgiving. That was that was uh, on Sunday. We're recording this Monday, the day before this podcast airs or is posted, or whatever you a podcast does to get to your ear holes. Uh, that that you know that's it's the way it is, and and so we need to zoom out to the broader picture of time management. And time management is not an island. Uh, energy matters. Attention matters. And they might matter more, more than how we manage our time. Uh, this wasn't always the case. You know, th th this really started to come into play after the Industrial Revolution, where we all had to clock in and out at the same time. Uh, we didn't pay much mind to the time of the day when we did agrarian work on the farm. We lived by the sun, and we tried to get our work done in that day in sequence, uh, depending on which tasks were the most important, which activities uh, produced the most bountiful harvest, whatever the result it was that we were seeking. And so I, I think that zoomed out picture that, that you're talking about, where productivity is about so much more than time management, especially when we do think and work, as you call it, uh, that's critical to, to include. Yeah. And I, I think also to your point that a lot of time management advice overlooks that part. It also overlooks the fact that these are all going to be very different from person to person. Yeah. So any yeah. kind of advice that says, oh, you have to do this thing to be as effective with time management Successful. as possible. Yeah, I think yeah. that overlooks the fact that everybody's biological clock is different. Maybe you are more effective at different times of day. So eat that frog or doing the hardest thing in the morning. Maybe that's not the best strategy for you. 
Um, or or uh, as your hormone levels fluctuate throughout the month. Oh, yeah. If you're part sure. of the population of half of the world who's uh, who that is the case for. Yeah, that's a, a big factor too. And that's something I know I'm very aware of in my, my own work is that I yeah. know at least my biological clock, I think, tends to dictate different things are more effective at different times of the month at different yeah. times of the day. But because every productivity expert is a dude. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of... Uh, People talking about that. Yeah, we need more. <laughs> we need more women productivity experts. I think we need more women in a lot of <laughs> expert fields. <laughs> a lot of fields. Yeah, that's that's true. So, but based on that, I think like over. I think a lot of quote unquote time management strategies overlook the fact that a lot of this is going to be very person to person. But there are some kind of like generalizable things that you can yeah. do. Right. One of them is for for if you're trying to level up in terms of taking advantage of your own personal rhythms. Level tracking up. Your, tracking your time is an Love important it. part. To figure. You're, you're becoming a, a productivity guru before our eyes with words like level up. Ooh, gross. <laughs> um, but I think understanding where you spend your time is an important part. Understanding, yeah. um, and that I think can be very helpful in help, helping you sculpt your week too, right? If, yeah. you're, if you are going to try to prioritize your, your, your work and your items on your to-do list, understanding how much time things take you is a huge part of that. If you say, yeah. I'm going to finish... A whole paper this week, you need to realistically know how much time it takes you to write a paper. Um, and tracking your time will help you get that data. And just what you want to change. You, you know, money is a really good example of this. We, we should talk more about money on the podcast, maybe in a, in a future episode at a later date. But if you want to change your spending habits, you have to start with where you're spending things on, what you're spending things on in the first place. Because you can't just overhaul these sorts of things overnight. Uh, what you're doing right now, the, the constellation of habits that you have that make up how you spend your time, that's your starting point. And if you don't understand what your starting point is, the the deficiencies in how you spend your time, the uh, wonderful things in how you spend your time, the uh, unexpected uh, good things in how you spend your time. Maybe you're spending more time with family and, and friends than you originally thought you had time for. Uh, understanding where you're starting from is the key. But when to go from that point to where you want to be after you do track your time and get a picture of your energy rhythms by uh, going back episode number seven and eight on the podcast, there are some tactics that you can use from this starting point to take you to where you want to go. Awesome. In terms of actual like tactics, there's a lot of things out there, right? I mean, yeah. one of the classics is the Pomodoro technique. Oh, right? yes, yes. Which is this idea that you spend 25 minutes doing something with a lot of focus and then you take a five-minute break. Have you tried this? I have. Have you? I have. What are your thoughts on the Pomodoro technique? I so, think... So the rhythm, you know, is 25-5, 25-5, 25-5, a longer break, I believe, at, at the end of the third Pomodoro. Yeah, and I think, I think this is a really nice idea because it helps you shrink down your resistance to a task, right? If there's something really big and kind of bulky in your schedule, like, I'm going to start my data analysis... That's a big task. Like, where do you yeah. even start with that? And I think when people have these kinds of big balloon tasks in their in their calendar, it can be kind of intimidating to even start. And it, and Pomodoro technique, the or the Pomodoro technique helps you shrink down that resistance, right? So I can do anything for twenty five minutes, and I think it's good to get the ball rolling. But at least in my work, I, th- I think a lot of my work involves more than twenty five minutes of thinking time, and I I've tried to do it for for kind of like 
deep work or more like focused work. Yeah. And I find it really hard. It doesn't, the 25 minute timeline doesn't work with a lot of the types of work I do, but I think it's awesome to get started. So I don't use mm-hmm. the Pomodoro technique very regularly or really at all anymore. It's kind of like pulling the, the lawnmower cord to get it started. And then you can go from there. Uh, but, but yeah, like you said, you know, one, one of the things that we try to encourage folks with this podcast is to really take the advice that works for you and leave the rest because everybody's work is different. There, there's a lot of strategies floating around there. You know, doing the hard thing first comes to mind, uh, time blocking things so you can really carve out times of the day where people don't book you, especially if you have shared calendars at the office. The rule of three which is where you set three daily priorities at the beginning of the day, eliminating distractions with a distractions blocker like freedom. Uh, that, that's more of a way of managing your attention, which has consequences for your time. Uh, but yeah, the Pomodoro technique, I, I, I'm, I'm mixed on it as well. I'm, I'm actually quite a fan of it when I want to go through a sprint for something. But it, it kind of throws more attention at a problem, uh, focused attention, and and doesn't really lead to fruits uh, of a different kind. Maybe it doesn't lead you to as many insights with that project that you're working on because you have fewer periods to let your mind wander. Maybe it leads you to become a bit more tired because you uh, lose a bit of energy and you, because you're focused so intensely and you're not taking enough breaks. We all have different rhythms, and I think 25-5 is a good, it's actually a good genuine rule for how many breaks we should be taking. My my general rule of thumb is for every one hour, every 60 minutes of work that we do, we should break for about 15 minutes. And it sounds like a lot, but over the course of an eight-hour day, it's basically a one-hour lunch plus a couple of breaks uh, throughout the day as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that speaks to the fundamental rule. Take the advice that works for you and leave the rest. Definitely try the Pomodoro technique because there's a, a huge contingent of people that have had a lot of success with it, but there are also people who have not. And there are other ways of shrinking your resistance to something. One of my favorite ways, and I think we've talked about it on the podcast as well, is let's say you have this, I don't know, like what example did you use? Data cleaning? Data analysis. Data analysis. You have this big data analysis project that you need to do. You might say to yourself, do I want to do this for 60 minutes? No way in hell the thought of it puts me off. What about 45 minutes? Nope. 30? Nope. 20? Uh, 15? Yeah, I could do 15. And 15 is definitely less than the 25-minute Pomodoro technique. But what we all find when we get started with something is that the resistance we have to a task is usually stacked at the beginning of us doing that task. It's jumping in a cold pool. Once we're in, we're in, and we adjust quickly. And resistance tasks are like that. And so shrinking your resistance in that way until you no longer feel that tangible resistance. It's a nice way of of finding the amount of time you should do something for at the beginning until you can uh, settle into more of a rhythm. A simple time management technique, but one that's helpful. In addition to the breaks, uh, definitely setting some pings for breaks every hour or so. Take a 15-minute breather where you let your mind wander another powerful one. One other tip that I really like for shrinking your resistance is kind of leaving your work on not a natural break, which sounds kind of weird, Mm. but I think at least in my work, a lot of my work is either compartmentalized as either writing or doing analysis. And if I'm doing analysis, I will literally leave my code in kind of like the middle of a solution, 
rather than at the end of like a natural break in my my analysis or my code or wherever I'm at in in that process, mm-hmm. so that I'm on an open loop in the work, and yeah. it's easier to to jump in because it's like I know I have to solve this problem rather than figuring out what the next thing I have to do is. So the the immediate next step is very obvious if you leave it kind of like in the middle of the work rather and, than at the end of a section. And if you've hit an impasse with something. Your mind is far more likely to think about that thing. Uh, if you hit kind of a knot in, in your work and you can't think about where to move forward from that point, take a break and really just do something else because your mind will continue to process whatever information you encounter, whatever thoughts your wandering mind happens to arrive at through that problem. Uh, it, it's this fascinating, fascinating phenomenon that we can take advantage of and ensure that, you know, work kind of what we were working on flavors what we do next. And maybe not necessarily is what we do next, but that makes us better off overall. Yeah, we actually talked about this specifically in episode 35. Hey. This is something I've been doing for a very long time, like leaving things on an open loop. And I think it's super helpful. I know the other day I was trying to solve something really complicated in my my code where it was like working with data that I'd never worked with before. And you were even commenting like, you keep writing down notes because I had left a big problem overnight and yeah. all evening and like up till the moment I was falling asleep, I was writing down these like <laughs> ideas for how to figure it out. And the next day, it was super easy because I'd thought through the problem and it leaving things on an open loop is really helpful, including in, a, in your time management strategy. So if yeah. you're taking a 15 minute break or 60 minute break, leave yourself in like a, a nice open place in your work rather than the starting point. Good advice. Yeah. So that is kind of working around our own rhythms. And there's two sides to this coin. There's working around our own rhythms with regard to the constraints of our day when it comes to how much time we have and how much energy we have, which is another constraint that should inform how we spend our time. So if you have a lot of time first thing in the morning, by God, that's a lovely block of time to just book yourself for and do some Uh, deep work during that time uh, while eliminating some distractions. But no man, no woman is an island. We do have to work around other people as well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people complain very naturally about meetings, right? I mean, meetings tend to take up a huge amount of your life if you aren't careful. Or depending on the type of work, maybe that's 100% of your work, right? Like maybe you are just managing meetings all day and that's Mm -hmm. actually what you're intended to do if you're like managing teams. Um, But I do think regardless of what type of work you do, blocking your time is a really helpful tip uh, or tactic, especially for blocking meetings. So how do you do this? I mean, I try really hard to condense my meetings into like specific windows. I hate having meetings breaking up my day because it makes it really hard to to carve out any kind of like really focused time. Mm -hmm. So when I'm... Especially if you have like the day free, but there's one meeting at 2 p.m. or something that... Just cuts your day in two. Yeah, I, that's the worst. That's the worst. <laughs> I think it, it can be really easy though um, to to let that kind of take over your calendar. Where are these like impromptu meetings that other people are suggesting? One way to get around that is recommend times that work for you. Right? If you're if you're talking about somebody about setting up a meeting, make the recommendations or the defaults that you're proposing a time that works in your calendar. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, saying I'm free anytime on Tuesday and Wednesdays is really open-ended and it's really frustrating to schedule things that way. Yeah. Instead, a more really like useful way of 
proposing meeting times and saying, how does Tuesday between 3 and 4 p.m. or Wednesday between 1 and 2 p.m. work for you? Yeah. Um, making it really tangible and in a way that kind of nudges it to being in a time that works in your calendar, super effective and just kind of leads to time blocks. Well, well one of the things also that is worth minding is your level of autonomy with uh, with the work yeah. that you do. Uh, and that is a huge determinant for which techniques for time management, for attention management, for energy management are most likely to stick. Uh, I'm in the fortunate position as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, that I have a bit more autonomy over my work. So one of the things that, that I tend to do is essentially have two work days every day. And punctuated by a one-hour lunch. And so if I'm having a lot of meetings or a busy time or I'm on a deadline, which often <laughs> happen at the same time, where if I'm on a deadline, it's usually a focus project that requires just a deep level of concentration. Uh, I'm writing a book, I'm writing an article that's on a deadline, something along those lines, uh, where I need all the t- attention I can possibly throw at something. But often at the same time, there's a lot of meetings to schedule for upcoming talks for other engagements. And so what I try to do is concentrate those two types of work, uh, either in the morning or the afternoon. Uh, The collaborative work where it's all the meetings might happen in the morning. Once those are done and clear and out of the way, then I'll disconnect in the afternoon and just focus deep on on whatever I need to get done. Uh, But yeah, working around those rhythms too is critical. Just lumping together the collaborative work creates a lot more space for the focused work that we do. Yeah, I love that. Um, I definitely try to do the same thing. The other thing that, I mean, you obviously have to work around that involves other people is deadlines, Mm. right? I mean, deadlines are the epitome of like, it's other people imposing some kind of deadline on you. And that's going to dictate how you spend your time, right? I mean, that's going to motivate you to finish something. I think people, everybody knows that when you have a deadline, suddenly you have a ton of motivation to get the the work done, right? Some energy comes out of nowhere and lets you get something done. If you have five years to finish something, you'll probably do a lot of it four months, four years and six months in, (laughs) uh, which is not a good strategy. You wouldn't know anything about that with your thesis. No, research is never like that. No. No, you've actually (laughs) worked pretty consistently. Well, I have a productivity expert in-house, so I have no excuse. Um, But all that to say, I think you can use deadlines to kind of artificially create that sense of motivation or or, mm. or urgency in your work to, to try to prevent that delaying or procrastination at a, at a big picture level in your calendar, right? If you are trying to yeah. manage your time so that you don't end up frenzied at the end of a deadline, if that's possible in your work, scheduling artificial deadlines with the people on your team or with even with just an informal partner, like this is something my um, one of the other PhD students and I had started to do when we started our work is that mm. I'm going to finish these things by this week or whatever. And this in this semester, I'm going to finish these parts of my thesis. And doing that with somebody gives you kind of like an artificial deadline, even if there are not, even if there's nothing at stake other than pride or not embarrassing yourself in front of colleagues. I think that in itself can be a, an important motivation. That, that embarrassment part is actually the key there, I think. You know, in, in terms of coming up with deadlines with other people, uh, especially... If it's more of an informal deadline, it's not a hard deadline that a client needs or something. Maybe you can promise a client that is external, uh, a project by a given day, 
or milestones by a given day, which uh, you, you don't want to be unreliable now, do you? You know, you'll probably end up hitting those. But in terms of deadlines for your other projects that are more loosey-goosey, maybe these five-year uh, type commitments, find somebody that you don't want to disappoint. Yeah, that's the, the then you don't want to you don't want to disappoint somebody that you highly respect and that you want to respect you. So uh, another helpful strategy. Yeah, just to give you a little bit of extra fire when you're trying to work. Yeah, because um, it does help you focus a little bit more. Good stuff. Love it. A lot crammed into that episode, eh? Mm-hmm. We'll have to talk about this. I think a lot. Of, there's a lot of pieces in here that we could unpack. So yeah, this will be an ongoing ongoing discussion in the podcast for sure. Keep in mind, as long as there's sequences of events to order, there will be time. As long as we can't focus on more than one thing, be in two places at one time, there will be time. As long as we need to coordinate our own schedule around our own rhythms and around the rhythms of other people and the availability of other people, there will be time management. It's not the end-all and be-all of productivity, as some people might have you believe. But because our time is so limited every day, but also on Earth, uh, which is one of the, the the ideas that Oliver Berkman talks about in 4,000 Weeks, we hope to have him on the show shortly. Um, it, it's so critical to keep these strategies in mind so we can make better use of what limited time we have every day and in general. I love it. All right, so finishing up, if you want to leave a review of the show, if you want one of these beautiful podcast postcards in the mail, uh, just email me a screenshot of that review, chris at alifeofproductivity.com. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful week and we'll see you in a couple Tuesdays. Bye.